0: Back, yeah. and it is—it's uh, turning into a pretty nice springtime here in Los Angeles. Um, on our half of the country, on yeah. our <laughs> half of the country. <laughs> I was talking
1: to my mom. My mom lives in St. Louis. Thirty degrees. Oh, snowstorm. Oh, the further you go east, the worst. That's,
0: yeah, their winter winter is sticking around a little bit longer that than uh, groundhog screwed them. <laughs> so we've had a we've had a pretty eventful week. Uh, first, first thing is you know this podcast has always been a huge booster of Oppo, and Oppo has been top dog in uh, in home theater for a long time. They made the first up converting DVD players. Uh, that made your DVDs look even better on your on your HD set, then they made the best Blu-ray players, they made the best, best up-converting Blu-ray players, and uh, came out not so long ago with absolute just kick-ass, state-of-the-art 4K Blu-ray player. And mere days ago, Oppo mm. said, we're shutting down, we're not going to design any new products, and we're not going to manufacture any more products, and uh, we'll still support them. And warranties are still in effect, and that'll probably be handled by a third party. And the big giant question is, what Why? the hell happened?
1: Why?
0: Why? Why? Yeah, a
1: uh, Chinese company.
0: Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Company. Yeah, Taiwanese company.
1: Uh, uh, and I don't. So at least what? I think it's
0: Taiwanese. Uh, in, in any case, it's uh, you know. But yes, the, the, the here's the thing is that Oppo, Oppo has a very interesting business uh, corporate structure. Yes, uh, it, it, it the the. Um, the European and the American wings were always kind of independently operated, mm. so somewhere in the pipeline uh somebody just decided decided to pull the plug on this company for reasons that are completely mystifying and here's the thing that and i have I've reached and, and, out and to when them. we say pull the plug as opposed to sell,
1: yeah. You know, yeah. No, we're 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 we are simply not going to do what we do anymore. We're going to simply support the old stuff, and we're done.
0: Yeah, like like the corner grocery, just saying, uh, you know, we're going to shut down. I've been at it for a long time. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know, just going to close the store down, and uh, whoever owns the building is just going to rent the space out to somebody else. That that kind of thing happens with the corner grocery. That kind of thing does not happen with tech companies. Yeah. Because you have technology, you have patents. Yeah, usually get you ha- broken up because they, 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 Blu-ray players and four K, ha- all that. But they also cell phones and all have, kinds of crap. There's value. Yeah, I mean the company is worth something. It's worth something to someone. So you're either going to sell your technology, or you're going to sell the company, or you're going to break the company up into pieces and sell it, or declare bankruptcy and reorganize, or something. But nobody just shuts down. That's weird. Very strange. And especially for a company that is A, not losing money, B, uh, state of the art, has good products, has great products that are considered industry leading products, where you go into any Magnolia or any home theater store in the country and you look at their state of the art system, and it always, always has an Oppo. Mm. Uh, you know that that's what's weird. I mean, they focused on what they did best, and maybe they see the writing on the wall that the the disc industry is collapsing, and all they've ever done is make, you know, disc good, good, players. Yeah, basically, yeah, I yeah. mean, they have they had some great Bom- headphones, yeah, but yeah. uh, you, you got to kind of wonder what's what's going on there. So anyway, I reached out to uh, to our our contact there, who's always been so great to us, and have not heard back. Mm. Uh, so I'm gonna try to. Get, get hold of him this week and I'm sure everybody else is because if you go to all the other sites, Digital Bits and uh, AV Forum, the, these guys are all, everybody is in the same kind of apoplectic place and uh, nobody, nobody knows what's going on. It's all very strange. Mm. Uh, the press release was strange and uh, so we're, we're trying to figure it out. Everybody's trying to get the same story. So somewhere between us and uh, and all the other sites we're, we'll, we'll get a story and somebody will get to the bottom of this. So yeah, Well, yeah. you'd you, well, you, you
1: think that just the tech news people
0: would be all up in it. Yeah. Uh, You know, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really, really disconcerting. So it's very upsetting. If you have an oppo, you can rest assured that it will still be supported and you can still get it repaired someplace if it ever breaks. I Look, I own four oppos. Not one of them has ever gone down. Mm -hmm. They're just, (laughs) they're they're built like tanks. They're like, they're amazing. Which might be the problem. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It, it interesting that in technology uh, that becomes problematic they yeah. started figuring that out in the middle 80s that you know when you build things to last
0: uh, i will never forget you eat into your own uh, you eat into your own uh profit margin you ever yeah. see the documentary who killed the electric car oh yes the most salient part of that, I still remember uh, Peter, what's his name? The guy from uh, 30-something. Uh, 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 Peter Horton. Peter Horton. I still remember Peter Horton sitting there while they towed away his EV1, uh, just shaking his head, just saying, I don't understand. This makes no sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, this. is it's been a great car for me. And, you know, you understood they only leased them. They never sold yeah. them. So they called those leases in and put them in a big lot in the desert and, and destroyed all those cars. And then there's a point in that movie where they say the American auto industry makes whatever. I'm just making this number of like $5 billion a year selling automobiles. It makes $25 billion a year selling spare parts. Yeah. And you go, oh, now uh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Pickle so i'm out and apply it to everything. I do yeah. man. Anyway. It's uh, tragic. Here we go. Uh, and then uh, we uh, we also got hold on Uh, a little uh, a little email here from uh, Philip Vater or Vader I think it's Vader right Phil Vader because Mark used to make funny it sounded like Darth Vader Mm. Uh, anyway Philip uh, sent us he said perhaps you and Tim can give a nod to 2001 50 years since it was originally released getting a lot of buzz in the media these days by the way 2001 is one of my favorite films and yes, Phil, it is my favorite film as well, right alongside Lawrence of Arabia. And uh, here's the thing about 2001. 2001 ah. is getting a, uh, they've, they've spruced it up. They're going to release a, uh, a brand spanking new 70 millimeter print of it. Which is going to premiere at the Cannes Film Festival mm-hmm. in a few weeks, uh, in along May, along with uh, Solo. Yeah. yeah, along with Solo, and uh, they are then going to uh, release it theatrically in the country again. So we're going to get a 50 year anniversary theatrical 70 millimeter release of brand spanking brand spanking new prints of 2001. We were talking
1: about 70 millimeter a little yeah. while
0: ago when when you first got here. Yeah, and I just what, did a thing also, for yeah. I just did a thing this morning for uh, for NPR Marketplace on 70 millimeter films, and uh, yeah, that was a subject of conversation. So uh, you, you know, you look, 2001 straight up holds up. Uh, 1968, just uh, three years before 70 millimeter, basically the era kind of shut down, but mm. still just one of the greatest looking films ever made.
1: Well, yeah, certainly in terms of uh, that, that that look, just that alone, uh, and the technology. Now, on the show Friday, this was a discussion that we had on, Film, the, Week, on yeah. Film Week. On Film Week. Uh, and um, a couple of interesting notes about 2001. Tell me if you think this is true for, uh, for science-based uh, space movies. Yeah. Um, there is 2001 and uh, everything before and then yeah. everything after.
0: That's really true. Uh, and
1: that's really it. And, uh, and uh, yeah. on the show, I mentioned, yeah, you, you, Milliers, when he shot that yeah, rocket yeah. to the moon with the guy in the eye and all yeah. that. And so, you know, you had that sort of conception yeah, and, and you walk forward through the 40s and the 50s particularly all those sort of movies in the 50s where uh, the cosmology and the science of space was not applied at all because no. none of these people knew anything about it, so they just made stuff up. Uh, and then you hit, and then you hit 2001, yeah. and from that point forward, uh, the math of space science cosmology has to be applied to all of these films, even when they get silly, and they yeah. do. Nevertheless, there is some notion that there, that this, this works in a certain way.
0: The, it's the yeah. 2001 is still the only one, and and we in Gravity kind of clawed its way back a little bit, but Gravity still looks like a special effects movie. <laughs> 2001, which oddly enough won Stanley Kubrick his only Academy Award. For special effects, yeah, him and Dougie, uh, Dougie, Dougie Trumble. Well, well, they gave yeah. Doug Trumbull did the did the work, and Kubrick took home the, the Oscar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which which, believe me, Mister Trumbull yeah, uh, remembered. Yes, he did. <laughs> he reminds people of that at every opportunity. But, uh, yeah, it still uh, is the only one that that you look at it and you're like, I don't even think this is a special effects movie. They shot this in space.
1: Yeah. Uh, 50 because years of, uh,
0: ago. no CGI, of course. No CGI, it,
1: it, it, it models, yeah. scale, yeah, depth, a uh, 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 forced f- uh, perspective, yeah. Uh, um, all of the techniques of filmmaking that uh, filmmakers today don't really need to learn no. because they can. The computer does it for them. Yeah. Um, um, but Stanley knew them all, uh, and, and of course, cameras and lenses better yeah. than anybody on the planet. <laughs> better <laughs> than most DPs, yeah, save maybe uh, Sidney Lumet at the time, but uh, yeah, 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 who was also. But so, so all of that. Is is 2001. A couple interesting things though, in doing the research for the show on Friday, that I did not know is that A, Stanley uh, wanted to fire Arthur. Yes, he did. Yeah. He was going (laughs) to hire J.G. Ballard. Yeah. uh, Which would have been nuts, by the way. That Mm. would have been all kind of crazy, but they sorted it out. And a really interesting thing that I uh, sort that was Carl Sagan's little influence there. So, 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 so Stanley and Arthur went to Carl to talk about how to physically represent these sort of alien, mm-hmm. alien this, that, or whatever. And say it was Sagan that said to them, don't, you, yeah. you can't, anything that you will conceive will be wrong. Uh, yeah. and, 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 and put a stamp on it. Uh, for And now, yeah. uh, other filmmakers didn't pay attention to Carl. They did, and, and, and bully for them for yeah. paying attention to Carl. Other yeah. filmmakers decided, you know, we're going to with the ears or the teeth or the whatever. And, but you they know, didn't do
0: it, and good for Carl Sagan. And Kubrick also gave one of his very rare and certainly his most elaborate interview at the time to Playboy magazine. And uh, if it's all you know, it's in a million places online. If you have a chance to dig it up, uh, read it. It is one of the best interviews yeah. any filmmaker has ever given anywhere. Uh, Kubrick's Playboy interview uh, at the time of two thousand and one is really something spectacular. It's really, really amazing. It's a great interview. Um, the other big news, speaking of can uh is the feud with Netflix. Oh, yeah. And we'll we, before we jump into DVDs, but we should uh we should talk for a minute about this because uh the after having a few films in competition last year uh including the Meyerwitz uh yeah. stories so, and yeah. and uh yeah. Mudbound. Uh, it, was Mudbound? N- uh, not no, not Mudbound, Mudbound was but they they made Mudbound but it wasn't in competition, but the Meyerowitz stories was. And uh Netflix well the, the the backlash in France, which is very protective of its film industry was tr- uh, huge and uh they said if you want to film in competition at the Canada Film Festival you got to be uh you have to have a theatrical release in France. Mm-hmm. So, not uh, unreasonable at n- all. Not unreasonable. So Netflix then said, okay, then these are the movies you're not getting. And they're doubling down. Yeah. And so's Cannes and it's uh it, it Netflix straight up will not release these movies in theaters in France. They won't be bullied into it, they won't be sweet talked into it. They they fundamentally want you to go to Netflix to see their movies and not a theater. They just aren't going to bend well, on that. Well, you,
1: uh, you said it already. Netflix is in a different business. Yeah. They're not in the theatrical movie business no. anyway. Um, and, uh, and, but they feel that they can make movies that are good enough yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and deserving. I, I think that they're being silly. Uh, I do too. Netflix, I mean. Yeah, uh, I, I, and, and 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 I and I have no, I, I really, I, and I get a different business, and we're just gonna go. But no, 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 no. Engage.
0: I mean, am I am I being silly? No, you're not. I I I understand what you know. Amazon is committed to the theatrical release. Yes. And, and that doesn't take away from your TV shows and all that. I mean, Netflix is still and building And sometimes a they will do them day and date still. You know? but, but Netflix seems determined to demonstrate that, that theaters are obsolete as far as its brand. They want you to, if you want to see something that's net, that Netflix has made, you have to enter their ecosystem, go into their world and uh, pay their subscription fee. And I, you know, I, I, I hope they realize that they have, they're going to have to bend on that a few times. And uh, I, Well, it would I, look, they can do whatever the hell they want, but, but, they but, but
1: it would behoove them to bend on it, or, or just not do it sometimes. It would behoove them to be more selective.
0: Why are you stabbing yourself in the neck? Here's the thing, too. Filmmakers want their movies in theaters. They do. They want people to see them in a theater. They want people, as I said on Film Week a few weeks ago, that they, they, you want people to sit in a room with strangers and to laugh and cry and yell and have all of these shared moments together that's what cinema is it's it's not about sitting in your underwear in your living room and watching something alone it's about getting out of your house getting out of your safe zone getting out of your out of your world and walking into that dark room with strangers and having the ultimate communal shared emotional experience which doesn't really happen anywhere anymore unless it's you know live concerts sports and and yeah, restaurants
1: it, 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 it's it's um, certainly the traditional cinematic experience Yeah. Um, is it's one that's being challenged really yeah. hardcore right now uh, for a lot of different reasons. Some of it has to do with the movies. Some of it has to do with the expense of these things because, you know, they, yeah, it, it does get hard to, to to make these numbers make sense sometimes. It does. Uh, when you're, when you're, 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 you're a Dodgers game, uh, a hockey game, uh, a basketball game, a theater, you know, everything will cost several hundred dollars now. Yeah. The movie experience didn't used to, though. The movie experience with the blue collar and even the poor person's. That's experience. Right. We so no matter how the opera, yeah, there was always opera. Yeah, we didn't go. That's right. Uh, uh, and but that's okay. We could go to the movies now. These things are are, are all creeping up up into the up into the milieu of the uh, if not the rich, uh, the at least um, uh, people who can afford it. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm looking at us, well, me anyway,
0: <laughs> and, and, as a
1: regular, as a regular guy, just a regular guy, same socioeconomic yeah. uh, status that I've had all my life. Yeah. You know, I went from lower cl- middle class to middle class and subtle, like, hung around there my whole entire life, bouncing back and forth. Fine with me, no problem. I never had any problem with any of that. I could do anything that anybody wanted to do. I took vacations and went on trips and went to the movies and did all of that, living in that socioeconomic status. Now... Even going to the movies in that socioeconomic status is a re- lot of money. Requires a thought. I have to it think is. about it. Yeah. I have to, I have to, I have to make a decision about that between that and something else. That didn't used to be the case for a person in our socioeconomic status.
0: Movies cost three times as much now as they did when I was in high school. Yeah. Nothing else. Which costs. means to
1: the high school kid who doesn't, who who isn't doesn't yeah. have three times as much yeah. money as we did when we were in high school. Yeah. Simply has to either not go to a lot of movies. Certainly, they don't go to the movies the way we did.
0: No, I was a three time a week guy. Uh, is it, look, it, it, nothing else in the world, in my world, costs three times what it used to cost. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, maybe nothing. houses. Houses, sure. Yeah, houses. yeah, but that's about houses and movies. movies and houses. All well, right, anyway, yeah, so yeah. so that's that's where it's at. So uh, we, we are w- so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> we are we, are, we are, whoa, whoa. But 2001 is coming out again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you just have to pay three times as much for it, or four <laughs> times as much. So uh, I'm going to go through. We we have some great PBS uh, Blu-rays this oh. week. Uh, some really really good stuff from PBS. Let me just hit this on you. Uh, hit this up uh, really quickly. The Impossible Flight is a Nova um, segment that is just really really wonderful. This is two hours. Of a fascinating story from March 2015 that may have just completely escaped you because it went right past me. Uh, March of 2015, I was trying to think like, what was going on in March of 2015? Yeah. Well, th- I guess everybody was announcing for the election the next year. You know, yeah. we were in full political mode or something. But um, there was a, th- this was an amazing moment in the history of aviation. The Solar Impulse 2 um, went out to become the first solar-powered airplane. To completely circumnavigate the globe. Yeah. And they'd been planning this for over a decade... And uh, it, it's, a, it's really an amazing story about how this was all put together and the way they built the plane and financed it. And, uh, you know, it just as a, as, a, as a feat, as an aviation feat, this is really a great story. It, it, it certainly is right up there with Lindbergh and the, thing, oh, absolutely. And the things that Amelia did yeah. and, and whatnot. I mean, and we, we live here now. and The, the engineering and just, that goes into a solar-powered airplane, especially one that can stay in flight longer than 15 seconds, yeah. much less fly yeah. around the world. Yeah. Is pretty amazing, and you will, and they make it all accessible, and it's wonderful. Uh, Black Hole Apocalypse is another nova. Uh, This one is, uh, this gets a little bit heady, and there's a lot of theoretical stuff in this, but uh, astrophysicist uh, Jenna Levin hosts this, and uh, it it gets into the whole issue of um, what we've learned about black holes and how our understanding of them has basically changed and uh it's changed a lot, by the way, yeah, like what we thought black holes were at the time that Disney made that movie yeah <laughs> it, it it that's that's like ancient science now, that's like flat earth theory <gasps> uh, it's all upside down science it's really, really interesting, and who knows how that may change again uh the uh the New York Cantors is a fantastic concert. <coughs> Still have a trail of my cough. Oh yeah, actually, you're doing way better though. You're doing way <coughs> yeah, I'm better. doing better, right? Yeah. I I held on there for uh, for the better part of uh, twenty minutes. Uh, so the New York Cantors is this uh, this wonderful, wonderful concert that they had in uh, in this, this synagogue, this ancient synagogue in Amsterdam, where these three legendary cantors from New York uh, get together and and put on a concert like the three tenors, except they're Jewish cantors. Yeah. And you know, you forget what an amazing tradition it is to have cantors in in Judaism. Yaakov uh, Lemmer, Ozzy Schwartz, and Nathanel Hershtik. Wow, I pronounced all three of those. So <laughs> proud of myself. Uh, put on a wonderful, wonderful. I mean, most of this is you know traditional Sephardic and and uh, and and Jewish uh, singing music. Uh, you know, cultural stuff. Um, but it is, it's just wonderful. You know, they also sing the bells of New York City. It's just really, really great. Uh, and uh, Bob Zimmerman, the uh, the Dutch composer, uh, arranges all of this stuff, and it's just it has it's just wonderful. It really is. It's an absolutely wonderful concert. You don't have to be Jewish, observant, or otherwise to enjoy it. It's just really you just have really, to have a good ear, for great reason, ear,
1: lovely singing.
0: <laughs> Understanding the opioid epidemic, uh, if you're if you're like in if you're in my position, I I understand that you know a lot of people are addicted to prescription drugs and they're dying. And uh, they're taking too many of them, and and uh, it's it's been really irresponsible. That's as much as I know. Uh, how this happened, how this just happened, how, what the turning point was, where this became a thing—that stuff I didn't necessarily understand. So this goes into all those details. It's a good, solid, dense hour-long documentary. It gets into uh, exactly how we got to this place, where all the uh, we missed all the warning signs, and how the medical establishment kind of let everything slide, uh, it's really, uh, it's very upsetting. And it doesn't necessarily give you a lot of hope that this problem will, will be solved anytime soon, but there are, at least being aware of it is half the problem. Uh, Scanning the Pyramids is an uh, episode of Secrets of the Dead, which continues to be a really interesting show. This is about an hour long, and uh, goes in all of the new technology. We're using 3D modeling and everything else to... Uh, better understand the great pyramid and to figure out what the hell is inside the thing because you, you can't drill into it you sort of have to you know use all kinds of modern day technology to to scan it and figure it out and mm-hmm. they continue to find all kinds of nooks and crannies in those damn things yeah Um. Uh, so anyway this this wall went on for two years you know this this stuff i can't imagine what kind of a dedicated researcher you have to be to spend two years doing this but Um, It's very, very interesting and uh, will continue to be until we discover that there's an alien civilization buried and living somewhere in the middle of it (laughs) or underneath it. Uh, Episode of Nature, The Cheetah Children nature always does wonderful stuff. I would have liked for this to be on Blu-ray honestly because this has that great photography that you always want from those great nature uh installments but not to be in this case. Also an hour long and uh you're basically taking a a nice wonderful uh nature filmographer's look at the uh at you know the the the, the maternal um the maternal culture of the cheetah, I guess is the best way to put it. Interesting. Uh, cheetah mother with, with, you know, five cubs and how they are trained and, you know, what the, what the culture of being a cheetah mother involves, which is not unlike being any other mother. Uh, they're still learning and training. And, you know, yes, it's instinctual, but it's fascinating. Exodus, the journey continues, is one of those amazing front lines that uh, just blows your mind. This is uh, two hours long and uh, it deals with the um it deals with the the n- the nature of the refugee crisis yeah. uh, as we know it today globally and uh w- how the world is dealing with it how it is not dealing with it why people migrate for, whether it's war whether it's poverty whether it's whatever that for whatever reasons and how it's changing the demographics and the politics of the world both for better for the better and for the worse and uh, again, this is like the opioid crisis. It doesn't give you any solutions, mm-hmm. but it certainly lays out a roadmap. That is it is...
1: historical at all? No, no, no. They're, this they're, is they're looking at the present day.
0: Looking at the present day, and and uh, and sort of why we suddenly have a world that is migrating more than it has in certainly a hundred years. Yeah,
1: about a hundred years. I, the reason why I ask, of course, is is the notion of migration in, or immigration, as we yeah. call it now, but it's really just migration. It's always yeah. been the same. <laughs> excuse me, certainly uh, if we look at the United States, we, we, there are these very distinct markers across uh, across time. Sure. When Americans had to go. They just from, started moving. Yeah, they yeah, moved. In, they, in the south. That's right. You know that. Sure. And, 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 and a lot of the times these things affected very specific populations. Obviously black populations that moved up out of the south and went north. The reason why my people are from St. Louis yeah. when I was born in, in, in Tennessee is because of that migration. And, and, and the ones who came west yeah. Uh, uh to Los Angeles and and what that meant in terms of the culture and the way the world the way the United States was shaped all of which is much better than it would yeah. have been before by yeah. the way why we don't see how that would work will, does work exactly the same way when you scale it out from a single nation to all nations yeah. uh why we don't see how this this works better if you just let everybody go wherever the hell they can get themselves to
0: when you have people who sort of ossify into uh, cultural identities mm. that's where it starts to get sticky and uh, you know you, you start to, if you if you've been what say Scandinavia has been for the last eight, nine hundred years, thousand years. Uh, and suddenly there's a significant part of your population that is Muslim and brown, yeah. you start to say, well, what does it mean to be Swedish if those people are also Swedish? Yeah. Uh, and these things find their, their way into all kinds of other parts of the world as well. You know, it is uh, the history of, of, uh, of Burma and Thailand is equally problematic. And yeah. you think... well, Burmese, Thai, aren't they the same people? Well, they are if you're an American looking at it <laughs> over here. But if you live in Burma, those people are those people and and we are we are us and uh, never the twain shall meet. Mm. And uh, you know, certainly it's it's easy when you are not Asian to talk about well, Asians. No. Talk to, talk to Koreans and Chinese about how they feel about the Japanese, about the because Japan, those are some you know. very old wounds. Yeah,
1: yeah, the so Viet, the Vietni- yeah, all of that, yeah.
0: The, 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 the persistence of what Japan did to the Koreas, if you go to South Korea, they really kind of want to rid themselves of Japanese influence. And, you know, the Japanese are very, very aware of the fact that much of kanji, much of their, their a lot of their characters come from China. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's like, why do we have Chinese characters in our language? There, all of these things are an issue to these people. Yeah, and,
1: yeah. and, uh, and, and I don't know, it's it's, it's fascinating. They're all, yeah. because of, the at the end of the day, uh, this sort of mixing. Yeah. But we push back against it instead of embracing it, and I think that's just generally speaking a mistake. If you're an
0: alien who comes here from eight trillion light years away, and you look, at how we, we, we squabble about this you know, this culture. And that. It's like, but you guys live on the same planet. Yeah, it's like, aren't you all just a bunch of Earthlings? You're Earthlings. earthlings. <laughs> you're, you're
1: just Earthlings. You're not Martians, by the way.
0: Yeah. Anyway, Anyway. It, it reminds me of that great episode of, uh, of Star Trek, Let ah. That Be Your Last Battlefield. Oh, oh but aren't you gorgeous. Where he says, aren't you two the same? He's half black on the right side. I'm half black on the left side. The wonderful You're, Frank Gorsuch. We were, oh, <laughs> <I love that. laughs> we were supposed to just sit there and just smack our foreheads and go, oh my People gosh. still don't get that. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then the last PBS one here is uh, Ann Curry's We'll Meet Again, events that changed the world, people who changed each other. I love Ann Curry. I absolutely adore Ann Curry. Uh, even before all that, you know, stuff blew up on the Today Show, I was I was mad at everybody for letting Ann Curry go because I think she's terrific. Um, anyway. These are these are a series of stories that are just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. They are just human stories. Um, you know, a woman from an internment camp who's looking for uh, you know a, a, her friend, her non-Japanese friend who stood up for her. Um, you've got uh, a, a woman who from Vietnam who's looking for her American father. You've got uh, just amazing stories of people who, you know, heroes from 9/11. I mean, this is just really wonderful stuff, and um, pe- basically people looking for those who've who've had an effect on their lives mm. in the past, and it's just so beautiful. Um, you could make a movie out of every single one of these. Yeah. And I hope somebody pays Ann Curry a lot of money to license these rights Yeah, because uh, it's wonderful stuff. Ann Curry is a terrific journalist and We'll Meet Again is an absolutely wonderful collection of stories. So while uh, Matt Lauer was doing what uh, apparently yeah. he
1: was doing... That's what Anne was doing. <laughs> That's right. Therein lies the difference <laughs> between the boys and the girls. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you, want me, you want me to jump on some? Yeah, of let's TVs? do some TV. Uh, a neat little series out of, from Acorn, season one of Newton's Law. Here we have the good wife and uh, all those. This is more or less something like that, with a little dash of upstairs, downstairs yeah. thrown in nice. with, with it. So you know, she's like the this solicitor. Uh, so they have, of course, they have solicitors and barristers. Um, yeah, they are, like yeah, there, like in like in the UK, yeah, and uh, and they're both lawyers, uh, more or less, but they do different things. Uh, and uh, generally speaking, barristers are richer and more powerful yeah. than solicitors. Uh, and but, but you, you can switch from one side to the other occasionally. Anyway, uh, this uh, young woman's uh, solicitation office uh, goes south. She has to go to work in a fancy barrister's office that's run by her old. Uh, her old ex, and uh, it's all about that, uh, you know, the sort of differences between these two people who are ostensibly the same, doing the same work uh, for the same reasons, but uh, engaged in the world in very different ways, and how they affect each other. It's really, really funny A uh, little series here. This is a season one of Newton's Law, uh, and popping over back to the States here, the complete fifth season of The Americans. Um, you know, um, I, I was not Deeply into the Americans, one, two, three seasons, right? Yeah. Whatever. Who was that? I? It's my little niece. Was like, oh, you yeah, I watch the Americans.
0: You it's know. taken some time to warm up, hasn't y-
1: it? You know, and 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 you know what it was with me when all of this is going on. I, you know, I was like a grown in, in the in the military. Yeah. I was actually in f- fighting the Soviets. <laughs> I was, the Soviets were my were my actual enemy at that time. Yeah. And I'm looking at all this made up stuff. But nevertheless, this is actually quite a lot of fun. This series, because it's come to be more about the children than yeah. the parents. It's about these children the children, this, in case you haven't seen it, it's about these uh, deep cover uh, Russian spies buried in sort of you know ordinary American culture carrying out assignments and doing all kinds of stuff, and they've been here for a long time, and they have uh, children who've grown up who, as far as they're concerned, are actually American, and at this point in the series, the children have come to find out that their parents are deep cover Russian spies and have to make some choices. Anyway, it's a neat series. I would have thought this would have made it five seasons, but it did. Uh, Special features include deleted scenes, a gag reel, and a first look, along with unaired uh, – well, yeah, like I said, unaired deleted scenes. All right. Anyway, FX. And um, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. I remember
0: this. This was the wildest, weirdest animated (laughs) stretch. Yeah, it's animated.
1: It's uh, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. And it's just so much. First of just, all, big old Sherlock Holmes freak. Yeah. In, in any context. Really. <laughs> you know, uh, 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 Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's, uh, in any context, it's really great for me. This was fun because in addition to all of the sort of Sherlock Holmes-y kind of business that goes on, he also has an android and a robot and, and, uh, and all this sort of futuristic stuff. And it's set in London, and it looks like London, you know, sort of animated London, but it's also full of very modern stuff. To me, this is as much fun as a lot of the sort of anime yeah, uh, um Japanese animated we're gonna so Sherlock Holmes and the uh, 22nd the complete series. Nice and the new season of Legion just started.
0: <sighs>
1: um I, I and I've only seen one episode. To be honest with you, it was a
0: little dense for me. The series is a little dense. I tried, man. I really tried. Uh, This this is season one. That's season one on Blu-ray. Yeah, Yeah. on Blu-ray. So so I don't
1: know. (laughs) uh, uh, Two discs at eight episodes all together. Of course, it's an adaptation of the Marvel. uh, um, um, uh, uh, Well, uh, uh, It's uh, like an X-Men. An X-Men offshoot. It it goes all the way. And, and, And there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Part of it is set in the past. Part of it is set in the present. Uh, If you know all of these little connections, it can be a little fun if you understand who this man is. It's about a young man uh, uh, who uh, is psychotic, uh, schizophrenic, as far as he's concerned anyway. Voices in his head, all kinds of things uh, are going on. He eventually finds out in this first season that he has superpowers and that a whole lot more is going on than even he thinks. The one interesting notion that I was able to hang on to in the series is this. Is that he thinks he's psychotic. And has superpowers. And it turns out that he
0: is a psychotic and has superpowers. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? That's clever. My, my issue here is if every single mutant in the X-Men universe uh, took this long to sort out their issues there and you. realize their powers, there would be no X-Men universe. Yeah.
1: yeah because, dude, relax. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, uh, you know, season two got going. Um, I watched it, and I'm like... Oh, Hey, maybe this is just going over my head, um, but a lot of people like this uh, anyway. To this set, uh, eight episodes, special features, all kinds of stuff. Uh, if
0: you if you're into it, this is the one for you. And so what is this? Uh, a Super yeah. Bowl? Uh... That's our that's our Super Bowl uh, fifty two champion Blu ray DVD combo set for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, which I guess is noteworthy because they beat the Patriots and everybody always loves to see the Patriots yeah. get beat. Uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm happy for, for the Eagles. I got some friends from Philadelphia, Andy, our good friend Andy Klein and uh, no, my yeah, my yeah. friend uh, Dean Heyman Mason. Dean. will be very happy that his name was mentioned on this podcast. Dean. Dean's a Philly boy uh kobe bryant's from philly so i mean i celebrate people from philly
1: uh my, my gal my gal my gal dean is in philly problem
0: with this is yeah. for me i don't give a damn about football so I'm gonna put <laughs> that down put that right down over there what are we doing anyway let me hit a couple of music things and then we're going to jump into uh some classic movies and then we will wrap things out with uh new movies this week we're going to save it to the end because we got a few really interesting things to talk about uh, so, uh, first I'm going to mention Memories in Rock 2, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. So, Richie Blackmore, we've mentioned uh, here before, uh, he basically, as pertains to Blackmore's Night, I played a little bit of that around the holiday time, Blackmore's Night, he teamed up with Candace Knight, and, uh, they have this kind of renaissance rock band, it's just really cool stuff, I just, I, I dig the whole retro pop music, uh, folk music renaissance vibe with guitars and all that stuff. Um, well, but Richie Blackmore also is is an old school rock guy. Like, you know, his sound in the, in the nineties was very much borrowed from kind of the seventies, things like deep, deep purple and stuff like that. So anyway, he wanted to get a little bit back to his roots and he did a tour of the UK, three concerts in 2017 with a new band called Rainbow. And, um, it's, you know, his old band was Rainbow, but this is a new, new people in Rainbow. So basically resurrected Rainbow with a, with all new people. And uh, this is uh, two CDs and a DVD of, uh, of those tunes and uh, the all live performances. And then the really interesting stuff for the relative to this show is the DVD, which has just a ton of interesting interviews on it, including, obviously, uh, Richie Blackmore and Candace Knight. And uh, really interesting stuff in the interviews. It's not just like EPK type stuff. There's really uh, really significant stuff here and then there's even a little bit a little backstage thing so uh if you are a fan of the music the era the guy memories in rock 2 uh richie blackmore's rainbow it's pretty great uh two cds uh like 20 tracks and uh, then a dvd of all kinds of cool interviews and a little bit of backstage stuff and then from naxos renee fleming in concert is a uh, double blu-ray uh, set from Opus Arte, uh, Renee Fleming has an absolutely extraordinary voice. Uh, works with uh, Christian Thielemann conducting the Vienna Philharmonic, uh, Stadtskapelle Dresden, and uh, this is from the Salzburg Festival. Just some you know some wonderful uh, orchestral and vocal performances here, mostly from Richard Strauss. Uh, there's, there's a Symphony Number no. Seven from Anton Bruckner, uh, Hugo Wolf, five songs. Uh, but it's the Richard Strauss stuff that's, uh, that's really, really great, the, uh, the Vienna Philharmonic stuff from Richard Strauss, and then a little bit of Richard Strauss with the Staatskapelle Dresden. Um, yeah, uh, it's great stuff, uh, especially if you love, you know, choral, vocal, vocal classical music. Uh, and then uh, from Dynamic, which is another line that uh, Naxos handles is the uh, Umberto Giordano's Fedora, which is a melodrama in three acts with uh, an interesting libretto. Uh, and not quite an opera, but uh, op- basically in the realm of opera, but not, you know, to the, to the level of sort of the classical operas we associate. This is uh, Daniela Desi, anchors this. I've never heard her before, but uh, the orchestra and chorus of Teatro Carlo Felice does a wonderful job. And then, lastly, a performance of Jules Massenet's *Werther* W E R T H E R Werther* by Jules Massenet, uh, conducted by Cornelius Meister, performed by the Opernhaus Zurich, uh, or the Philharmonia Zurich at the Opernhaus Zurich. Uh, and uh, you know, that's for that. If you if you are um, opera fan, then then you you know what this is. Then you will revel to it. Not my style, not my speed, but yeah. you know, it's there. So, as uh, I said, classic movies. Classic indeed. Classic indeed.
1: Uh, the Sandlot. I'm going to give people a second to, cons- to think about what year anniversary it Please is. Please don't tell if me it's, it's the 30th. Is it, is it more than the 30th? No. Fortunately, it's only the 25th. Oh. But you know what? That made my back hurt. <laughs> uh, 25th year anniversary of The Sandlot. Wow, man. I can remember. I, I did the junket for this movie. Of course, and Art LeFleur is in this movie. A friend of mine lived around the corner from me for many for many, many years, the wonderful actor, Art LaFleur. And I remember all of these kids when they were kids. Yeah. Every single one of them I talked to at the Junket. Uh, most of them were absolutely uh, obnoxious. You were all obnoxious children, everybody, in this movie. Uh, but they grew up to be pretty decent adults. Some of them went on to become significant actors um, in one way or another. And certainly this film, um, um, you know, it, it, it has a place in the yeah. heart of sort of... Uh, fans of these kinds of movies uh, for kids back in the day, oh, I guess Stand By Me might be one of them. I guess uh, Bad News Bears uh, from my childhood yeah. would be another one of them. Uh, so on and so forth. And and for this generation, 25 years ago, Sandlot. Yeah. Um. Uh. Just a neat little movie. Uh. With a big old dog and uh, and some kids playing baseball and the uh, and uh, and you know. So what the hell are you gonna do? This. Um, uh, Blue Way special features has a featurette on it and the trailer and a couple of TV spots. You know, you know, they might, might have been able to do a little bit better, but it's pretty neat. Also, oh, no, you know what? I take it back. 10 exclusive Topps baseball cards. <laughs> okay, then. In, inside this package. That's Fine. a thing. That's that a thing. For baseball deal.
0: fans, that's a thing. Neat, 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 Fantastic. neat,
1: neat anniversary.
0: You know we uh, we talked to uh, Larry Cohen not too long ago. Larry Cohen, just one of the all time great exploitation guys, directed you know so many cool movies. Everything from uh, Q Quetzalcoatl, the yeah. Winged Serpent, to Black Caesar. I mean, it really, you know, and then original ga- uh, uh, original gangsters. You know, Larry he wrote Phone Booth originally for Hitchcock, wound up being directed by Joel Schumacher years later. Yeah, like twenty five years later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Larry Cohen is just a, a great guy, and they made that documentary about uh, all of his movies. And uh, he, here's a here's a classic old Larry Cohen movie that he wrote, directed, and produced in 1981. Pretty late for the uh, for the exploitation era, but still, it's a great uh, Larry Cohen movie. It's called Full Moon High. Yeah, <laughs> and I, here's the tagline: I love this. He's today's teenage werewolf only the rules have changed and what's brilliant is the art we have to see the artwork like the artwork is a is a teenage werewolf who is running because there's a woman chasing him with a knife a scantily clad woman with a knife
1: yeah yeah looks like uh, daisy duke
0: it's uh, it completely flips the uh, the whole it flips the script on these things and uh what's weird to me is that the the character here this is before teen wolf basically did a lot of these same kinds of things uh, is Adam Arkin plays the uh, plays the the werewolf here? Adam Arkin, Alan Arkin's oh, Adam, son. Adam, Ar- yes, Adam ass, Arkin, yes, Adam Arkin. Yes, Adam Arkin. Who's who to my mind is not a teenager, but he was in eighty one. Yeah, eighty one. So. He was actually he was probably still about thirty, but what else? Yeah.
1: He, he's getting away with it. Anyway,
0: it's really fun. There's an uh, there's a Larry Cohen commentary, uh, which is moderated by the uh, by the filmmaker Steve Mitchell, who made the documentary King Cohen. So uh, that's really fun. That's on Blu-ray from uh, the uh, Shop Factory people as part of their Scream Factory line, and then in the same vein is a Blu-ray DVD combo set from uh, MVD of Twilight People Evolved from Evil. Uh, and here's my favorite. Here's my favorite tagline here: Test Tube Terrors, <laughs> Half Beast. All monster. <laughs> uh In another life terrors. I used to write crap like that. You know how to write. <laughs> I know. Test tube terrors. Anyway, uh yeah, really what what's hysterical? The the this this has some of the one of the some of the greatest artwork you've ever seen because it's all it's all a kind of HG Wellsian uh Greco mm-hmm. mythology human-animal hybrid stuff, you know, like a bat with a human head or you know a a woman with a with a a wolf's head yeah, that's or, the sort of island uh, of dr Moreau yeah that all that stuff you know it's just it's basically taking animal heads and putting them on people <laughs> and uh it's uh it's it's a stone cold riot uh it really ironically
1: is. also the theme of thundercats
0: yeah well so here's the thing in point of fact, this is an adaptation of the island of dr Moreau, but they don't cop to it oh. uh they cop to it in on the uh it, they uh, they admit it on the back of the box for whatever weird reasons i don't know maybe hg wells estate threatened to sue them or something <laughs> um but uh it, it's they don't actually admit it so it's it's like the adaptation of alan dr moreau that's sort of not a very good adaptation and they don't admit that it's an adaptation uh, in any case, the, um, it's just about, you know, it's, it's animal heads on people. That's what it is. Um, the, uh, Pam Greer plays the Panther woman, ah, uh, and, and quite, choice. and quite well, I should admit. Uh, and then, um, you, Roger Corman was an uncredited producer on this. Uh, Eddie Romero directed it, who does a perfectly fine job, Uh, nothing remarkable. There's an interview with him on here. There's also a commentary with uh, David Del Valle and uh, David Decoteau, who both are really kind of experts on this uh, this period. And then the original trailer, which is even funnier than the movie, and the TV spots, which are funnier than the trailer. So uh, it's a Blu-ray-DVD combo from MVD. It's a lot of fun. Uh, pressing forward with uh, with uh, anniversaries, Cheech and Chong's
1: Up in Smoke again. Oh my goodness. I will give people a moment. I don't figure this one out. It's 40 years. Yeah, It's a 40 year anniversary of Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. Um, which, by the way, was, was sort of like co-directed by Lou Adler and Tommy Chong.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and uh, Lou Adler,
0: yeah. who's kind of a neighbor. I mean, he lives yeah, about a yeah, mile yeah, away, yeah, but yeah. I see him all the time.
1: Yeah. You know, we, did you know Lou when he was married to Shelly Fabrice? I, I
0: never really knew Lou. I just see him around, like at the coffee shop or standing in front of his house on PCH or yeah. whatever. And then, obviously, when I watch Laker games, he's always he's sitting always, there.
1: Yeah, you're like
0: that. You but, can't but, miss him anyway because he's always but, got a little just wacky. Yeah, you know, with the long hair and the there. whole thing. But Lou, is, I mean, look, everyone knows where he lives, and everybody sees him all the time. He's just hanging out. Yeah, Lou, I was, mean, Lou is groovy. And, and when I think about it, uh, yeah,
1: I co-directed uh, up and smoke? Sure he did. Yeah, Of course he did. Uh, uh, <laughs> and this is, first of all, this is a terrible movie. Yes, uh, It has always been a terrible movie. <laughs> and, uh, and tomorrow, it'll still be a terrible movie. People watch it because it uh, alludes to a culture and a time and a space and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But it's not really a watchable
0: film in any way, shape, or form. And for that reason, we are going to make one fan of this movie very happy by giving away, courtesy of Paramount, a special edition up-in-smoke stash box (laughs) Uh, Paramount is making available (gasps) for one very lucky listener a stash box which is ba- it's a wooden stash box yeah. with this movie and who knows whatever else in it um, uh, but uh, yeah it'll be a, it's, a, it's a nice it's a nice giveaway the uh, mm-hmm. up in smoke Cheech and Chung stash box <laughs> so um. that is uh, that, just go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com either one mm-hmm. and uh, put uh, smoke yeah just put smoke in the subject line your name and your address in the body of the email and uh, as long as it gets to us by April 13th, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, uh, it's <laughs> appropriate. Uh, we will, uh, uh, we'll pick a winner and uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, have Paramount send you your stash box. I
1: shouldn't be so. I, actually, I'm, I mean, I'm being quite a quite an ass considering how much weed <laughs> I smoke. Uh, the, the 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 this has all kinds of stuff on it. It's a two disc. Blu-ray, all kinds of special features, uh, long commentary tracks with Cheech and Lou and uh, deleted scenes and commentary and uh, movies and stuff. So it's really just a jam-packed thing. So you get the stash box, you get the movie, all kinds of new content, uh, Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. Only thing not in this, an eighth. Should put an eighth in it. Should put an eighth in it. Whatever. Go on. Um, uh, A Study in Terror. Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I, I I particularly like this one because he's chasing Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Uh, and 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 Jack, who of course is both Jack the Ripper and the Doctor. Yeah. Uh, is almost as bright as Sherlock. Uh, and it's uh, it's it, so it's quite a romp. Uh, I r- I rather like this one quite a lot. Um, this is from who is this from? Uh, this Blu-ray. Oh,
0: the company? Yeah. The this is from uh, Mill Creek. Mill Creek? Mill Creek. Yeah. This is the, uh, the John Neville. Oh, Judy Dench was in this. Oh, oh yeah, young Judy Dench. Yeah. Yeah. This is the John Neville, uh, Anthony Quayle, Barbara Windsor one. Uh, this is this is. Uh, what year was this made? Didn't oh, that's
1: six. That's uh, nineteen sixty-five, man.
0: Okay, yeah, for sure. Wow, sixty-five. Wow, yeah. Yeah, well, young Judy, Judy Dench. Young Judy Dench. My goodness, I'm gonna have to watch this.
1: That, oh, that's a wonderful. I like that one. I like the, the story, of course. Oh yeah, But
0: direct- That's, a, that's
1: a, you know that's not. An Actual, uh, um,
0: yeah,
1: uh, Arthur Conan Doyle story, right? Uh, but nevertheless, you know, because you know, after a while, there they started doing all kinds of things with Sherlock that didn't have yeah. anything to do with Sir Arthur. Oh
0: yeah, I remember mean, all of. Uh, at a certain point, Sherlock Holmes is fighting Nazis. <laughs> I, I, I remember, I remember. I'm like, what? How did? Where did we? Okay, I guess. Sure. Why not? Why uh, not? If Sherlock Holmes can be in the in the future in the animated in thing, the, uh, 22 in the 22nd, she, yeah, he could fight Nazis. Uh, Twilight Time has released uh, four terrific titles. These uh, came out a couple weeks ago in March. This is their March suite, and uh, it's a really interesting. I just every month when the when the Twilight Times come out, I'm always fascinated. Uh, First up is uh, Marilyn Monroe in "Don't Bother to Knock." Uh, along with Richard Widmark, which is a – it's its kind of a – it's one of the odd films out in the Monroe canon. People don't typically um, think of this one because it's a very, very dramatic role. And it's an early part from 1952. And uh, it's it, – she's, she's – this is where you find out just how good she can actually be. Because she's usually playing the tart and she's doing the, uh, you know, the silly thing, gentlemen prefer blondes mm. or some like it hot. Uh, she's not doing that here, and she's got to she's got to rise to the level of Richard Widmark and Anne Bancroft, and a really really great cast, and a, uh, in, a in a in a in a really solid melodrama from the period uh, that has kind of some some creepy noirish aspects to it. Uh, it's a it's a good film. Not a great film, but a very good film, and she's extremely good in it. Mm. And uh, I, I think it's I think it's I think really it's worth like checking a, out. It's
1: like a bus stop level performance. It for is her for sure because people forget how good she was in that. movie. She's
0: good in Bus Stop too you know. for sure. Uh, really, noiry is Underworld USA uh, from 1961, which is uh, which is really really terrific. This is a uh, Samuel Fuller film. He wrote it. He directed it. He produced it. He just put his unmistakable gritty, tough, uh, hard boiled imprimatur on it. And uh, it's amazing, kind of how prescient this is. This is uh, this is a, kind of a, a, a look at with uh, at the merging of business and organized crime mm-hmm. to create this sort of oligarchic uh, netherworld that uh, that just basically controls everything. And it's it's a it's a really kind of an eerie film. Uh, it's it's definitely a hard-boiled noir. It's got some great special features. The isolated music track, obviously a featurette on Fuller, and then Martin Scorsese talking about the film and giving you why he thinks that this is a great movie. What a great cast, though! Cliff Robertson has never been better, yeah. and uh, uh, it, it's a really really good film. Paul Dubov, really good actor too. Uh, the last two are uh, very much of a piece. They are both the a particular kind of crime film that becomes a big deal in the 1970s. The first one is the New Centurions. Oh man, uh, Stacy Keach, right? It's just great. Joe Wamba, you know Joseph Wamba was kind of like the uh, every decade sort of has its novelist, right? Yeah. Like Grisham sort of owned the 90s, yeah. and Scott Turow sort of owned the 80s. And Wamba owned this, that late sixties or seventies thing. Onion, yeah. onion, onion, on, onion, field. onion field. I mean, uh, yeah. it,
1: plus that sort of inside knowledge. It's great. Of 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 the actual scene. And so
0: this is this is all about uh, rookie LAPD cops and uh, George C. Scott is great. Stacy Keach, very young, equally great. It's just it's a really tough, hard boiled look inside the LAPD. And still the is
1: eye. to, the, to you, that movie pops up on broadcast television every now and yeah, again. And yeah, I, So I pop them, I watch it. It still is. It's great. It it it, it's, uh, it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't feel like uh, an artifact of a
0: no, page. it doesn't. It does not. There are two audio commentaries on here. Um, and Nick Redman, the uh, the film historian who's part of the Twilight Time uh, team uh, with actor Scott Wilson gives the best one of the two. It's really, really great. And uh, Sterling Silliphant, great screenwriter, adapted. Richard Fleischer kind of stepped outside of his usual genre trappings to do this. It's really great. And produced by Erwin Winkler and Robert Chardoff just a few years before they would win Best Picture for Rocky. Yeah. And then the last one, one of my favorite films of the period, The Seven Ups. Roy Scheider graduating from the uh, from the French Connection, where he played second fiddle to uh, yeah. Gene Hackman's Popeye Doyle. Uh, this is from 1973, just you know, two years after uh, the French Connection, and uh, he he's holding it down himself. This is a this is a terrific film, produced and directed by Philip D'Antoni. Uh, and uh, Roy Scheider is basically a um, a really really he leads this elite squad of detectives in New York. And um, the idea, the reason it's called the Seven Ups is because the people that you're you're after, um, you're, you've committed a crime that guarantees at least seven years in prison. Mm-hmm. So if you if the crime is that serious, they call these guys in, right? And uh, it's mostly mob stuff. You know, The Godfather was the year before, so we're still trying to kind of tap into all that stuff that's happening in the early 1970s. And uh,
1: and that was a period too where you could still get away with the notion of these cops, a group of cops, doing what they "quote unquote" need to do. Yes gotta do and 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 the public was still with that on the side of the cops they you were know, obviously dirty tough harry time and all
0: that man the manson killing and, yeah. and all that stuff was still in the air you know the hillside strangler yeah. i mean dirty harry is part of this same moment scene,
1: you know to a certain extent stills bronson as though he was cop. Yeah. but 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 yeah but, but you know that was a that was a, moment. Was a lot of anxiety yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but today you very definitively cannot make any no you can't no you couldn't
0: you couldn't. Uh, I mean, look, uh, William Friedkin and John Frankenheimer almost made a career out of, out of yeah. this genre yeah, in many yeah. ways. Dubious cops.
1: Uh, uh, with, you know, Bullet. Bullet yeah, was another yeah, one. Yeah.
0: So anyway, the the thing about the Seven Ups that is so great is the ch- the car chase. This is right up there with Bullet as one yeah. of the all time great car chases. And the moment that everybody always remembers is when Roy Scheider is headed straight for that semi, and he is not going to let that semi stop him, and he goes right under it. It takes the top of the car yeah. off, oh, and yeah, it's yeah, just it's there. a it's a fantastic moment. It's just they don't do stuff like that in movies anymore. Uh, so, uh, anyway, isolated music track of the terrific score here, uh, isolated music track of an unused score by Johnny Mandel, which is really interesting. Uh, Richard Harlan, film historian, Richard Harlan Smith, film historian, does the uh, audio commentary. You get a direct, uh, the, uh, uh, an introduction by, uh, Philip D'Antoni, the director, bunch of other stuff, including, uh, the, uh, an anatomy of a chase the behind the scenes of the filming, the, uh, seven up. And uh, lobby cards, stills, a whole bunch of other stuff. It's a lot of fun to go through. So the 7-Ups, one of the most uh, appealing of uh, Twilight Times releases in quite a while. Uh,
1: i got a couple here that are really fascinating to me. Uh, 1902, Miliers, A Trip to the Moon. It's Talk, we, we talked we got, about that just we, a second just ago. ago yeah. We were talking about uh, 2001. Yeah. And this is particularly interesting because uh, there, there was not believed to be any hand-colored prints. Of A Trip to the Moon. Uh, Milias, people have seen it before. Oh, the hand-tinted or, stuff. Yeah, the yeah, hand-tinted yeah. stuff. You go on the, uh, online, you can yeah. see it. But they, they, people didn't, they, they, they thought it was all gone. They found it in 1990. No problem. uh And, uh, and it's, uh, it's just fantastic. Anyway, A Trip to the Moon, Milias' uh, 1902 film, 15 minutes, hand-colored, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful art- artifact that one must have. And then also on here, the 2011 uh, film, 65-minute uh, documentary, Uh, uh, The Extraordinary Voyage, which is about a whole bunch of So it's really, really just a lovely thing where you sort of get all that. Lots of other bonus features as well. uh, With this uh, neat, neat uh, 2002 Milias, A Trip to the Moon, coming out uh, right behind the... What, is, what did we say was the 50th anniversary 50th anniversary of, of 2001 that's yeah. so, so so cool there and then and we also have uh, dark Crystal man I was I was listening to something Oz Frank Oz was on something yes just the other day yeah oh he's on uh, NPR he's just being yeah. interviewed on NPR uh, Dark Crystal really Jim um, Henson Frank Oz doing what they do uh, at the height of their powers or, right really, stuff. or working with these things in scale I can't think of anything like this today. No, uh, that that that's going on. I mean, because everything that, would be CGI. Why would people? CGI. It's it,
0: the the beauty of that is the puppetry. That it is. It's yeah. it's elevating puppetry to the highest level of any other art. Which
1: of course puppetry had been uh, for oh, yeah. about, for three thousand years before. Yeah, uh, and Jim knew that, and and being able to bring us in, and of course, you know, here, uh, this 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 is just, it's
0: it's such a wonderful movie, and this is a four K. It yeah. is so beautiful. I mean, this thing was uh, you know speaking of seventy millimeter was shot 35 but it was released in 70 and they restored those 70 release prints for a brief uh, release in, end of the last year didn't it, you know it was like a, like a week in a, in a few select theaters just for for hardcore fans but you know they they cleaned it up and honestly it, it this thing just looks so beautiful in 4K everything about this is so organic it's uh, it's a really underrated movie it i really think is. As, it's yeah. people focused on the puppetry without necessarily paying attention to the fact that in many ways this is better than Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, it really kind yeah. of is.
1: In in, in in a narrative sort of way, the yeah. actual storyline yeah. and the way he, he draws here, and this has deleted scenes commentary with uh, Brian uh, uh, Freud, F R O U N D.
0: Freud, I guess. Freund,
1: uh, uh, uh and uh, a lovely sort of picture in picture storyboard track thing that they're doing yeah. so that you can follow the 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 um uh, the uh, puppetry along yeah. with the storyboards and see how it's they make it all up photo galleries just a wonderful 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 package star crystal Jim Hens, I think we lost him in what 91
0: 92 Oh it was too soon whatever it was yeah. he'd still be around yeah. you know uh, some great stuff from Kino. Uh, they're, they're licensed stuff. We got a couple of double features here, and then some other ones that uh, a lot of people have probably forgotten about. Alan Pakula, who died the most uh, horrible death of any director in history. Uh, if you remember, he was just driving along the interstate somewhere in New in New York, and a uh, like a crowbar came flying off a truck and impaled him. Yeah. I can't. It's just so horrible. Almost
1: movie type. Yeah. Stuff uh,
0: Alan Pakula directed one of his later films was "Consenting Adults." starring the powerhouse trilogy of kevin klein mary elizabeth Mastrantonio, and kevin spacey uh oddly enough n- n- all of whom are now kind of out of the picture kevin klein i'll do th- things now and again kevin spacey is in the doghouse and mary elizabeth Mastro hasn't been heard from forever yeah but on the second tier here is rebecca miller e.g marshall and forrest whitaker all of whom are still doing really good work, especially yep. Forrest Whitaker, who's just showing up in all kinds of things. So uh, this is, uh, you know, it's a really, really interesting artifact of the early 90s. Uh, I, I remember very well when this came out. We we met not too long yeah, before yeah, this. Right and, um, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting film. Well, really nicely shot by Stephen Goldblatt, who was one of the premier uh, cinematographers of the time. Uh, it is, you know, certainly in the... Uh, it's, it, it's in the... the uh, the thriller vein that was uh, popular at the time, Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct. This is what they were all doing. And Kevin Spacey is just the creepiest neighbor you will ever, ever see. It it really is. Uh, it's But it's one of those obsession thrillers yeah, yeah. that the 90s were filled with. Uh, similarly uh, in that vein is The Psychopath. Which oddly enough is a musical comedy, isn't that crazy? <laughs> no, the Psycho, the Psychopath is uh, is a movie that lets you know exactly what it is from 1966 when they did not have subtlety in their titles. Written by Robert Block, who of course wrote Psycho as well as a lot of great television for Alfred Hitchcock Presents, yeah. Twilight Time, Twilight Zone, and uh, and Star Trek, uh, and uh, this is a new 4K restoration. Which is significant because this was uh, directed by the great Freddie Francis, who of course was a, a, a as well a great cinematographer, and it just has that great look that that he was just so such a master of. So written by Robert Block, directed by Freddie Francis, and uh, a, a really kind of a kind of a cool uh, serial killer storyline, especially for the era, uh, that is you know sort of foreshadows uh, a lot of other things that have happened since, obviously in the wake of Psycho, but yeah. you know Silence of the Lambs and. A lot of, You know, uh, even Dirty Harry. So, uh, I and I love the tagline here too. Mother, may I go out to kill? <laughs> <laughs> so so fun. And then the uh, the last three, uh, we have My Father, the Hero, with Gerard Depardieu and Catherine Heigl. A very young Catherine uh, Heigl. Uh, this is an adaptation of the original French film no, of the yeah. same title yeah. that also starred Depardieu. The difference is the 1991 mm. film in French. Is um, is actually a little bit more meaningful about a father trying to deal with a daughter who's you know growing who, who's reaching you know uh, adolescence and she's very attractive and he doesn't know how to deal with it and it's a little bit funny but in a bittersweet way. And it's a meaningful French comedy, mm-hmm. as was the original Three Men in a Cradle. Mm-hmm. When you as opposed you, to Three Men and a Baby, yeah. as to Three yeah. Men and a Baby, which is just well, ah, we're changing diapers. <laughs> and uh, this is where that this goes a little bit off the rails. It's slapsticky, and you got like water ski gags, and it's just you know. Bar
1: had this moment he, in the early nineties with Green Card. He made that movie Green which Card, which is great. Ali, Ali, it's uh,
0: Andy p- McDowell, it's which is like, Yeah,
1: yeah, he had this moment when he came. And yeah. his, and his English was still a little iffy, but somehow yeah. he was so. Charming that he penetrated the South of American zeitgeist.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, this anyway, when you have it, when you have a, an original friend, uh, Francis Weber uh, uh, co-wrote the uh, the, uh, the the screenplay to this thing along with my very good friend Charlie Peters. Oh yeah. Uh, and and uh, you know, I I again, I take nothing away. Charlie is a terrific screenwriter, but this is all slapsticked up, you know. Yeah. And that's what the studio wanted, and it's a little, a little bit too bad. I mean, it's still a fun film.
1: Which is funny because you know the the, the hit was always the other way around that the yeah. French liked the slapstick, and we right? But they flipped it. They flipped it. Yeah, I don't get yeah, that. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I still like this. I I think I would like it more if I hadn't seen the original. Mm. Uh, and you know, I need to ask Charlie just uh, what's it like rewriting Francis Weber. I need to find out what that's. I need to find out what that is. I just had lunch with him like five days ago. Um, anyway, uh, and then the double features here. One is uh, this one is actually a really great double feature. It is Too Much T W O Too Much and Miami Rhapsody. Both of them with Antonio Banderas. Well, all three of them with Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Banderas is uh, you know you'll you'll get it with Too Much. Uh, that's the that's the gag, and too much is a screwball comedy from Fernando Treba, who did uh, Belle Époque and won an Oscar for it, and then he came and made his his uh, big Hollywood English language uh, clunker, which was too much, which is not really as bad as all that. I mean, it's uh, it's actually very very sweet. It's Antonio Banderas and uh, Melanie Griffith and Daryl Hannah, and it's a uh, you, you'll see. It's it's a, it's, it's interesting. He's that it juggling actually, women.
1: It actually plays better now it, than it, it did. Does when it came out. He's juggling sisters
0: is what he's doing and it's actually very, very, very sweet and then Miami Rhapsody is just an absolutely terrific movie. Uh, David Frankel I still think is one of the most unheralded, unsung directors still working he keeps making great movies, and apart from Devil Wears Prada, he doesn't get nearly enough credit for yeah. them. He's just a really terrific director. Miami Rhapsody, it's very Woody Allen-esque. Oh, uh, very. And, and and you know, uh, um, uh, what's her name?
1: Sarah Jessica. Yeah, she was so good in that. She movie. She was great.
0: You know, she's just great.
1: I got this sort of wacky double feature myself. <laughs> I remember, I remember this movie. Uh, Mother May I Sleep with Danger, nineteen ninety six. Right. This was Tori Spelling and a, and a guy named Ivan Sergi if yeah. you look up Ivan Sergi you'll see yeah. his face has been in a thousand movies since 1996 so in 2016 yeah our James Franco yeah. never the one without an idea decides to reimagine this perfectly mediocre movie from two, mm. from uh, 1996 and and then and they do and what is neat about it is he puts uh, uh Tory and he puts Ivan in it Uh, and then there's there's a vampire plot to it now. It wasn't in the the 1996 movie. The 1996 movie actually wasn't that bad. It was kind of neat. It's about a a young woman who falls in love with this uh, handsome young man who was from an upper crust family and seemed to have everything except that he was flat out nuts, a psychopath. He wouldn't leave her alone Uh, and uh, it was kind of fun. Uh, So this sort of picks up with that, throws in a vampire plot and and presses forward. Uh, Mother uh, may I Sleep With Danger, a double feature, both featuring Tori Spelling. Um, uh, Getting Gotti. Uh, I remember this movie, too. It's really funny, uh, you, you know, when the, these things sort of, like, come back at you, and you're like, wait a minute. I totally remember that. Uh, Getting Gotti was Lorraine Bracco um, uh, playing uh, a, a young woman, uh, a young assistant district attorney because she was the assistant district attorney. This is a real person yeah. who was involved in this whole plot. You, they called him the Teflon Don. Right. Because he had been you know charged and all this kind of Teflon Don right. All that kind of so anyway, uh this is all about that and what and how she was instrumental in eventually getting getting Gotti Lorraine Bracco. Young Lorraine Bracco, you know yeah. before um Oh, uh, Scorsese uh, 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 with Pesci and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, Brand- yeah, that, good fellas. That's the one that popped yeah. Lorraine Bracco. This was actually right before that, based on true events. Anyway, uh, probably uh, you got to be at least 50 to even know who, who got Yeah, it. probably. Yeah, he's, he didn't exactly <laughs> stick. Um, human trafficking. Uh, this, dig this cast. Mira Servino, Donald Sutherland, and Robert Carlyle. In 19, let's say, 99, 98, 2000, 2005, that would have been the cast of an A-list theatrically released film. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not so much today. The storyline is very powerful, though. This is about human trafficking, exactly that, young women um, uh, being bought and sold um, into, uh, into uh, sex slavery. Uh, extremely intense and extremely powerful. Uh, compelling from that standpoint. Not the best filmmaking in the world. Uh, wants to be something like Steven Soderbergh, that wonderful Steven Soderbergh yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, Would Would like to live in that space, but yeah. you know, these filmmakers aren't quite that good. Nevertheless, um, clever.
0: And we're going to wrap the show out with the uh, quartet of new movies that were kind of a big uh, big deal end of last year. Uh, the first one, Phantom Thread, Daniel Day-Lewis. In the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie that was uh, somewhat divisive, uh, here you know, uh, without getting into all the backstory of this, of course, this takes place in the 1950s, uh, and Daniel Day Lewis plays a British fashion designer who haute Couture, yeah, haute Couture, who's, who is based on an actual American designer. There's a whole interesting backstory there, but uh, it, it, here's the thing: I loved about. 35 40 minutes of this movie which i was almost in tears how much i was loving it those first 40 minutes are amazing and the music that johnny greenwood oh, scored score. it's it, it just so captivates the era it's just it's that it's just it, everything was wonderful the photography which paul thomas anderson who was his own dp on this mm. and he brings this woman into his world that he meets in a in a cafe and then it becomes she becomes his mistress and then his muse and then His like psychotic live-in Joseph Losey, The Servant. Wait a minute. This movie goes off the rails and it's like weird. It takes a left turn. It takes a weird left turn like so many of his films do. And I understand that that's the point. That's what he does. But I didn't really like where it went at that point. All I know
1: is I was already watching a movie, sort of a James Ivory-esque sort of Remains of the Day movie um, that I was loving. I was too thoroughly yeah. captivated. Uh, uh, Cyril, uh, what's her name? He plays the sister. Oh, oh, uh, 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 uh she, she's uh, just uh, absolutely extraordinary yeah. in this film. Uh, Leslie, Biden, Manville. Le- Leslie Manville, Leslie Manville, who plays Cyril, his sister, yeah. uh, plays the character Cyril. Um, uh, and she's still and got Biden, an Oscar nomination, so she got for an Oscar nomination, and and, yeah. and deservedly so. And and all just so 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 good. And then. Uh, I'll put it to you this way henceforth and forever there's going to be a moment when I I turn that movie off I'm going to watch it (laughs) I will too (laughs) Uh, and I'm going to put it in and I know exactly when I'm going to turn it off same here and then I'm done with that
0: well, it got a bun- bunch of Oscar nominations, and it is extremely well done. It's exactly what we expect from Paul Thomas Anderson. It is wonderful, and then it starts raining frogs.
1: Yeah. Uh, which, if you've seen Magnolia, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Molly's Game, based yes! on a true story. Aaron Sulkin, uh, based on the book by Molly Bloom. Molly Bloom, of course, being the young woman who was a championship skier. Love and this movie. Had some issues there, and blah blah blah. Ended up working these high stakes card games in Hollywood with movie stars and just all. That. I mean, big big names, big names. Great Big really. names not named in this film. Nope. Which strikes me as a little silly because we know who they are. Yeah. We know who they represent. You can Google it and yeah, find Yeah, it's out. really easy, but yeah. you know, whatever. Maybe somebody would have got sued or something like that. And in any case, um, Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, uh, and Kevin Costner. Yeah. Idris and Jessica, in particular, uh, are very capable of speaking Sorkin's language. Mm-hmm. Sorkin has a language of his own or a style of his own, <laughs> which either you like or you don't. Yeah. I do. I love it. I love this movie. It's very quirky. And there's a lot going on in this movie. This is the thing that I love most about the movie. I'm just talking about the movie now. Uh, Molly Bloom, as played by uh, Jessica Chastain. I love it. Yeah. Um, Here this woman is amidst these men, powerful men, all of them. Even her own dad. Yeah. Uh, uh, Idris the the movie star. This woman, she's got nothing. She breaks every freaking one of them with her mind and her beauty and her... Backbone, she wins. I love that about yeah. it. And, which is, of course, true. Molly yeah. won. Uh, and, and all the big movie stars and all that. She even breaks her dad. She I wanted Costner to get a nomination dad. for this. It, it was a wonderful. I know you can scene. only get five, but yeah. and,
0: and it's really all one scene, but it's a great scene. It's a great scene. It's and a it's a scene,
1: scene, a complicated scene. But it's but it's a scene where everybody wins. Yeah. Uh it's that's what our buddy Sherman yeah. calls. It's one of those everybody wins scenes. Yeah. It's a beautiful scene, man. Anyway, Smiley's game, Blu-ray D V D. Uh anything fancy on here? Bonus feature, building on empire. I don't know what that means.
0: I just love that. This has the first five minutes of this movie is just ripping. Uh, All the money in the world, which got a little bit sabotaged by its own, well, by fate, really. Uh, All the money in the world, of course, is the story of uh, John Paul Getty's, uh, the legendary, famous J. Paul Getty, whose grandson was kidnapped. His very weird, wayward kind of uh, out there grandson got kidnapped and uh, held for ransom, and it gets very gruesome. And he wouldn't put up the money, and there's a whole. This was a whole thing. I remember this very, very well when I was when I was younger uh this was a big deal in the news just a lot this and patty hurst yeah going cuz you
1: were right here
0: i was here you this, were right here man this and this and patty hurst were the two big stories yeah. right and um i got to tell you though
1: because having
0: studied the history of that yeah. ir- ir- irrelevant now yeah um
1: not much of anything that happens in that movie yeah. actually happened. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I mean, the kid it, got kidnapped. and it's, uh, it's a lot
0: of, and some gruesome things happen and yeah. it, the rest is kind of fabricated. So as everyone by now knows, this was originally shot with uh, Kevin Spacey in really yeah. thick makeup playing John Paul uh, J. Paul Getty. And then, of course, the Spacey story broke and uh, they been, went back to their original choice, Christopher Plummer, yeah. who came in and uh, and sh- they did like, in, in uh, two weeks, they reshot a gigantic portion of the movie it is a huge portion of the movie that yeah. they reshot yeah. and uh he got an Oscar nomination for it yeah yeah, you good know? for him. Yeah. The movie sort of slipped away from the uh, from the overall sort of Oscar. because it disorder. came out so late. Because yeah. they had to push, they pushed it past our voting date, so we didn't get to see this movie for for voting. And I think a lot of people, if they had a lot of critics groups, if they had seen this in time for their voting, mm. might have given it an award, certainly to Christopher Plummer, and it might have done a little bit better at the box office and awards. But as it is, I think they made an amazing recovery, and uh, you know, notwithstanding the the, the reshoot yeah. fiasco of Mark Wahlberg getting paid millions. In and Michelle Williams getting paid nothing, we,
1: we, yeah, which is disgusting, and uh, particularly since he, uh, she, yeah, is th- same the, agency, th- yeah, you know, and, yeah. and I mean, I just that's just yeah. uh, the greatest showman, uh, 4K Ultra HD release here. Look, the greatest showman, um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, uh, I and I get it, you know, yeah. we're just making a big old family movie. Uh, so you know uh, the so they allude uh, to the, I love the, Hugh Jackman. Love Hugh. Uh, I love that little Zendaya girl in this but, movie too. By the way, she was wonderful. Yeah, as was uh, Ab the kid with the Ab Zach Ephraim. Yeah, but this movie, this movie, this movie has all kinds of. I mean, <laughs> seriously, we can't, we can't. you you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to get
0: away with this today. J. Paul Getty was a nicer man <laughs> than, than P. was T. Bar- P. T. Barnum. They make P.T. Barnum into Disney here. He becomes oh, yeah. Walt Disney. Become, He's out to yeah. fulfill people's dreams. No, yeah. he didn't. P.T. Yeah. Barnum was a was a cutthroat S.O.B. Yeah, I, what he was.
1: And and you know and and, and he he was an exploiter. And yeah. and that's fine. I don't think that he was like the most vicious human being on the planet or nothing. No. But they ignore it whole and completely.
0: Yeah, completely. In this so you Well, know, oh, this is this gonna... is a fairy tale. And you know, look, I, we're critics. Every everybody I know who saw this movie, with the exception of a songwriter friend of mine who wanted to just burn the negative. <laughs> Uh, everyone I know who saw this, they just loved the songs. And they had a good yeah. time with it, and it made a lot of money. This is one of those movies that wound up being critic proof in large part because the guys who wrote the songs or the guys who did you know the, the lyrics for, yeah. uh, for La La Land, um, who were big Broadway guys. but anyway, uh, 4k looks terrific, it's wonderful and it you know comes with movies anywhere and with, you know, so you can put it on your movies anywhere, digital locker and watch it forever and over and over and over and drive people crazy. Uh, a lot of featurettes, but uh, you know, on balance, it's a critic proof movie. What, yeah. do you, what do you yeah. care what we have to say? Yeah. All right, we're done for this week, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Have you ever – Have you ever, Was you were Mark that had the great, crazy Ken Russell story. Oh, yeah. That, We've told it on this show before. Told, okay, good. We've told it before. We'll, <laughs> we'll lay off. Anyway, that is it for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Send us emails with Croft for the Lara Croft Tomb Raider 4K giveaway in the subject line. Get it to us by the 30th. And Damon, D-A-M-O-N, to win one of the two 4K packs for downsizing to gods at or gods at by the 30th. See you next week.